Welcome back, everyone, to the Canadian Jewish Schmooze. I'm Michael Freeman, And I'm Alex Rose. And today we are going to be asking the question, do Jews need to worry about Bernie Sanders? Some people say he's anti-Semitic. Others say he's not. We'll talk about it. But first, we're going to be discussing the upcoming Israeli election. What is this, number three now? This is the, the third in, in all, feels like as many months, but it's like a half year. And joining us is Yoni Valete, who worked in the Israeli embassy in Ottawa for three years. How's it going, Yoni? Pretty well. Hi, guys. Um, could you tell us a little bit about what your responsibilities were when you were working in the embassy? Of course. So I was the director of public relations and speechwriting at the Embassy of Israel in Ottawa, where I served under uh, two Israeli ambassadors, first Rafael Barak and second Nimrod Barkan. And I recently returned back to Toronto, so it's great to be here. In the name of journalistic integrity, we should probably say that Yoni and I are like really close friends dating back to first grade. That is true. (laughs) If I give him only softball questions, now you know why. (laughs) (laughs) What what kind of things did you do uh, in Israel? So in Israel, I spent a lot of time there because my parents are Ethiopian Israelis. Um, So the connection to Israel is very strong. A lot of my family still live there. Um, And in university, I studied um, Israeli politics, um, geostrategic affairs, particularly in the Middle East. So that kind of pushed me towards the Israeli embassy in Ottawa. Uh, And I'm just fascinated by uh, international relations and Israeli foreign policy. Um, so whenever I do go to Israel, it has a lot to do with politics, but also family. Nice. Well, I, I hope the two don't intermingle too much and then cause endless arguments and strife. Uh, not always, but maybe with a third election around the, uh, around the corner, <laughs> it could stress some people out back home. <laughs> okay. Um, so we're here to talk, obviously, about uh, this is going to be a very political episode, first of all, listeners. So if you don't like politics... Eh, maybe turn this one off. I'm sorry. But you might also learn something, so stick around. Um, to, to, to start about this election, maybe, Yoni, you can broadly summarize for anyone who's not aware that there have been three elections in the last year in Israel. What, what has happened in the last year politically in Israel? Of course. Um, so, yes, we've had three elections in Israel. Uh, the first uh, of the three was in back in April 2019. Uh, the second was in September 2019, and the third one will be on March 2nd, 2020. Um, the big things that I think Israelis will be going into the polls uh, thinking about is, first and foremost, how do we avoid a fourth? Um, number two will be, how does Netanyahu's indictment fall um, into, you know, how do we vote according to our ethics and morals. And the last one will be Trump's peace to prosperity plan. Which candidate do I believe, Israeli voters will ask themselves, um, will either fulfill the the plan and bring it to fruition, either partially or wholly. And that will depend largely on where you fall on the political spectrum. That's interesting. We had an episode on the peace plan last uh, last time, and uh, the consensus was that it doesn't really matter because it's not going to happen. But what you're saying is people actually will put some stock into it, everyday Israelis. I think so. I think um, while a lot of people are angry that more wasn't done prior to the election about this, Netanyahu made promises that the um, annexing parts of the West Bank will begin before the uh, election, specifically the Jordan Valley. A lot of right-wing Israelis were angry that that didn't happen. I think some Israelis will be looking at maybe a defensive strategy. Maybe voting for Gantz will mean that 
the plan won't come to full fruition, even though Gantz endorsed it. But I think other Israelis will be taking the plan into consideration. Cool. We should back up a little bit and just clarify, uh, Israel has a very complex political system whereby it's not uh, it, it, it's not first past the post like it is here in Canada. You have to get is, is it ranked ballot? I forget. Or, or... Um, it's it's not ranked ballots. It's proportional representation. Proportional representation. Um, but yes, you do go into the booth and you vote for your uh, for your party. Yeah. So so the outcome is something like seventeen parties or something. I'll have some amount of all win some amount of of votes, and then that proportionally gives them a certain number of seats in uh, their their parliament. Exactly. So there's a threshold that needs to be reached in order to win a seat in the Knesset. Uh, currently, it's 3.25%. Um, a lot of a lot of uh, commentators have said that uh, one way to break the deadlock is to increase this uh, percentage, which would make it harder for some of the smaller parties to win seats. So uh, what typically happens is parties uh, join forces, make coalitions, and then use that to pass a, a threshold of, what is it, like 57 seats or something you need to like have a majority or something like that? Uh, so there are 120 seats in the Knesset. You need to win 61. 61. And that's the magic number in Israel. I think 57 is what uh, Likud's been hitting around there the that's last right. few, without Avigdor Lieberman right joining the, the kingmaker the kingmaker himself him. right and so just again to summarize this for people who are maybe unaware but still listening to this podcast thank you so much i'll explain there was a guy who basically was part of this right-wing coalition but then he put his foot down he said you know what i've had it we're pandering too much to the uh the religious right particularly their mandatory military service uh which they could avoid and so it he broke off from the coalition with crippled the coalition and the, and then everything started crumbling and now nobody can make up their minds about which direction they want the party to go um so that's been the last year though but so i guess that makes the question is if that happened almost a year ago maybe a little less what's actually changed since then why will this third election be any different we've had two the outcomes have been the same Mm -hmm. i mean two polls were recently released channel 13 and walla and they both have another deadlock uh they have (laughs) the blue and white party um still winning more seats than the likud but only by a margin of two to three um, what has changed, I'd say, is the fact that we have a coalition now between Labour, Gesher, and Meretz. Um, so that's what, what are those parties? So those are three more uh, center to center left parties. Um, that'll strengthen maybe the ability to um, congregate more liberal uh, Israelis together, and those parties together will probably win between eight, seven to eight seats. Um, the Arab list as well has won um, between 13 and 14 seats in the last two elections. And I think the Arab list is really important. Um, the, the, sorry, the Arab list is a coalition of, of smaller Arab parties. Is that right? Correct. Um, and the reason they're so important is because in the last election, uh, they won, I believe, 13 or 14 seats um, and, and endorsed Benny Gantz for prime minister. Uh, the change this time around is that Benny Gantz has came out and said that he will not form a government in partnership with the Arab list. And this is really important because the Arab list uh, is the third largest party in terms of seat count in the Israeli Knesset. So saying that you're not going to be working with the Arab list will be very difficult for you to form a coalition. Um, and the reason being is that 54% of Israelis in that uh, Walla poll um, said that they would not be happy with a, a coalition, a Benny Gantz coalition with the Arab list. So it went from 
the Arabs to be the deciders in an Israeli election and maybe even have a, an Arab cabinet minister to, you know what, Israelis don't want to see a coalition between the Arabs and the blue and white party, Kaholavan, as they're called in Hebrew. So there's a lot going on. Um, there are a lot of people saying, I'm not working with you and I'm not working with him. So another deadlock looks like it's going to be in the cards as of now. And then what happens? They just have another election and then another election. And then, and this just goes on like a horrible Jean-Paul Sartre play with no exit in sight. I mean, it seems so. Uh, unfortunately, anybody, everybody who's uh, opined on this uh, Israeli electoral landscape has been wrong and uh, I don't think anyone should <laughs> make so, any further. So why further. are you different, Yanni? Why should we listen to your opinion? <laughs> no one, no one should be listening to my opinion. I, <laughs> I, I think that it's going to be um, extremely difficult for Israelis to get out of this current political conundrum. Um, there are three things that could potentially break the deadlock. I think I mentioned uh, previously that raising the percentage, uh, the three point two five percent threshold, uh, is one way. Uh, another way would be to see MKs cross the floor, yeah, almost like defect uh, certain parties and say, uh, you know what, I'm going to now run under the blue and white banner as opposed mm -hmm. to the Likud. Um, but the main way um, I think the Israelis will see a, a, um, a break in the deadlock will be to, you know, try and oust uh, the current prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, from the Likud party. But didn't um, they already have the leadership vote and he run one like with an overwhelming majority of Likud support? He did. He did. Uh, he beat uh, a gentleman by the name of Gideon Saar, um, who is his only real challenger. Um, so ousting Netanyahu from the party is doesn't look like it's going to happen. Um, it looks like he will uh, um, stand trial two weeks after the election, um, which is why I think that Israelis will have to make a very difficult decision as to whether or not they want to have their prime minister potentially be indicted, um, sorry, not indicted, convicted um, while in office. So it's going to be very interesting to see how Israelis vote this time. But I think chief among all the issues that they'll be thinking about is how do we prevent a fourth election? Uh, President Rivlin said very strongly after, the, after uh, the second election that the Israelis do not want to go to the polls again. We need to work this out. A lot of people are saying, why wouldn't the blue and white and Likud work together? So that would be Netanyahu and Gantz in a coalition government. Um, well, it's very, it's very obvious. Gantz has said he will not work with the Likud as long as Netanyahu is at the helm. So it's deadlock after deadlock after deadlock. Um, and it doesn't look very good. <laughs> Do you think Likud is sticking with Netanyahu out of a sense of loyalty and because he's led them this far and has been really good for Israel and their interests or just out of more a sense of fear? or obligation, fear maybe of Netanyahu, or maybe just of the electorate abandoning them? My sense is that he's just extremely popular. He, there, there's a, a bit of cult of personality going on. He has extremely diehard supporters. Internationally, he's, he's well regarded. He gets along with a lot of allies, including President Trump. Um, and I think they... And creates new allies, I guess. Yeah, and like, he's just... Like he's just he's the strong man who's leading the party. I think it's a combination of him personally saying I'm not backing down, which is also similar to Trump and other people propping him up. Uh, Yoni, what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's a it's a really good question. I think Netanyahu, for all his faults, has been an extremely astute politician and has been um, leading the country for the better part of the decade. 
um, and has been able to um, portray himself as not only the elder statesman, um, but also as the, the security guy. Um, many Israelis are still quite scarred from the events of the Second Intifada, and a lot of them vote with this idea that the peace process, um, well, that there is no peace process, and that the right person to have in, in Jerusalem is a strong um, communicator, English-speaking prime minister who can protect Israel on the world stage, but also at home. So he has very much cast himself as a security guy, which is interesting because he's running against who I would consider a very good security guy as well, the former head of the IDF chief of staff, Benny Gantz. Um, but it's really interesting because Benjamin Netanyahu posted a video on Twitter uh, a couple of days ago where he's standing on this balcony on, uh, I believe it's Tel Aviv, but it could be another coastal Israeli city. And he's pointing at the skyscrapers in the distance. And he points out to the Mediterranean Sea where he says that there is um, oil and gas. And he says that in addition to all of the things I'm doing for Israeli security, I've also made the Israeli economy prosper, which is true. There has been a jump in GDP. Um, Israel's economy is stronger than it was 10 years ago. So he's not only running on security, he's also running on the economy. Um, Classic conservative strengths. <laughs> exactly. Um, and also a lot of Israelis just trust the familiar face. Um, and with the... I mean, in that case, Gantt has almost the same face as Netanyahu. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Is that not familiar enough for them? <laughs> I mean, I, 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 that's true. But... I, I think for a lot of Israelis, seeing Netanyahu in power gives them a sense of security, um, both literal and metaphorical. And I think that it's very hard to take um, to take that that view away from from his, from Israelis. Yeah, and I think there might also be a, just going off that an element of better the devil you know. So even mm -hmm. even people who uh, don't agree with you know all the things that he's done, or especially his personal problems, uh, which have resulted in this indictment. Uh, would say, much like, again, I'm drawing a lot of parallels to President Trump because there are a lot of parallels to be drawn, but they would say, you know, yeah, the guy's got some personal issues, he may be a little bit corrupt, but you know what? We're secure, the economy's doing well, let let him figure it out or maybe give him a little fine or penalty or something and yeah, let's like, blow through it. Like, why would we vote for Gantt, who says he's going to do everything Netanyahu's already doing when we, when we already know Netanyahu can do it? Right. You know, so what if he, he uh, accepted all those cigars or whatever it was? You know, what's a cigar to my peace of mind and security? Exactly. I mean, I've been thinking about this. I don't like Netanyahu from here, but if I was in Israel, I might be voting for him in these, like, elections cycles just for those reasons. I mean, it's hard to say who I'd be if I was born Israeli, but exactly. I, I mean, can see the appeal for sure. I mean, we went from the Oslo Accords um, in 93 to the horrific bus bombings of the Second Intifada, and you did see a massive shift in the Israeli electorate to the right. Um, and that would be natural. Israelis were worried. Um, they were thousands were being killed, um, and this sense of of urgency overtook the Israeli electorate. And the shift to the right occurred. And Netanyahu has essentially solidified the status quo. Uh, the conflict hasn't moved an inch. Um, Israelis are secure, and there's really no need for them to 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 move differently. The question will be whether or not Netanyahu's um, legal problems push him over the edge. Well, on that note, I uh, think we'll move on to a different electoral subject. Um, but you and you're going to be sticking around and chatting with us about that too, right? Yeah, looking forward to it.
A few days ago on February 18th, Bernie Sanders in his campaign released a video uh, sort of dubbed Proud to be Jewish. And in it, a Bernie Sanders supporter who is Jewish talks about all the reasons that she would be proud to have him as the first Jewish president. It also has some uh, clips of speeches he's given about his Judaism. We're going to play a little segment about it right now, and then we're going to be chatting about whether Jews do need to worry about Bernie Sanders, as some some North American Jews feel he is, in fact, anti-Semitic. But first, let's hear a little bit about what the campaign has to say. If Bernie Sanders is elected, he would be our first Jewish American president. As a Jewish American, that would be a huge step forward in this country and blow back against the rise of anti-Semitism in this country. Any Jewish people that vote for a Democrat, I think it shows either a total lack of knowledge or great disloyalty. You know, they were chanting like in Charlottesville. Jews will not replace us! Jews will not replace us, and then having a Jew literally replace them would be like... That would be so satisfying. Okay, first off, I just love the vaguely, like, Hollywood uh, um, film score. It sounds like it's lifted from a Schindler's lift up. Da, 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 <laughs> like this solemn violin. Oh, okay. So this video is obviously a reaction to right-wing charges that Bernie Sanders is anti-Semitic. Now, when people on the right say it, they typically mean anti-Zionist, anti-Israel, something like that, um, largely because Bernie Sanders is the most outspokenly pro-Palestinian presidential candidate probably ever. Um, which isn't to say he's anti-Israel, it's just to say he, he stands up for uh, Palestinian human rights, which... If you are Zionist, when you hear pro-Palestinian, you hear anti-Zionist. Um, I, I would argue that that's the simplified and maybe unfair uh, uh, attack on Bernie Sanders. But I've been speaking for too long. I want to hear what you guys have to say. Um, Alex, why don't you give, what were your thoughts on that video and, and on Bernie Sanders in general? Uh, well, those are two very different questions. <laughs> All right, um, let's start with the video. We were just chatting about the video because this is, this is making some rounds. What did you think about it? Uh, you know, it's one of those, like, I'm a sucker for those videos that, like, just want to play with your passions and get you feeling exactly what you, they want you to feel. Yeah, it's so uplifting. Like, yeah. Um, I don't know. What I was thinking is that, like, you know, we talk about, we have this connotation between North American Jewry and Zionism, but it's probably, one, stronger in Canada than in the United States, and two, there's all these, I mean, I'm not an expert in in relatively recent Jewish history, but I think just the, all of Bernie plays into a lot of like labor Zionist tropes and just like left-wing Jewish tropes and things that, again, don't exist as much up here, at least that I'm not as familiar with. Um, but it just got me thinking like that is, he is like representing a very real type of Judaism through his you know whole campaign, including that video. I, I would actually argue that labor, labor Zionism in general doesn't exist as much anymore. Yeah. Am I wrong? But I mean, the Labor Party barely <laughs> exists in Israel. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also Zionism now is much more aligned with, this is going back to what we were just talking about a few minutes ago in the last segment, but Zionism now is more closely associated with militaristic hardline defense, defending the Jewish right to exist, the, the Jewish homeland's right to exist, rather than labor Zionism, which is, you know, moving to the moving to the chosen land, building it up with your own hands, et cetera, et cetera. I think you're totally right in that Bernie Sanders is a kind of bygone labor Zionist um, which also had roots in in North America's labor movements of mm -hmm. the 1920s through the 50s, which none of it exists anymore. Yeah. <laughs> He's a real old and he wants to bring all of it back. <laughs> bring it all back. Yoni, what do you think? I think it's just interesting that Bernie Sanders 
uh, more public criticism of Israel could make him more popular among many left progressive Jewish circles. I mean, I think I, I, I think it was in the New York Times I was reading recently that um, there has been a wedge driven in the American Jewish community. It'd be interesting to see if there's one here in Canada as well that um, Trump and his policies are uh, and and his coziness with Netanyahu and Israel is a big reason why American Jews uh, don't feel as connected to Israel anymore. It would be really interesting to see if Bernie Sanders can reignite that connection that young American Jews would otherwise naturally have with Israel if it wasn't for the political divide. Although I think Israel doesn't want to be connected to those Jews as much. <laughs> I mean, they probably <laughs> well, just want the Jews that are like, I, it depends on the leadership. I think the current leadership, at least, mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily want to hear from like the young lefty Jews and what they think Israel should be doing. <laughs> well, in I would say that there is an entire ministry uh, in Jerusalem dedicated to diaspora relations. And regardless of the politics in Canada or the United States, they do do a lot of work to try to engage young North American Jews and European Jews, I should add, um, whether it be via birthright or scholarship program study abroad, um, there is there are a lot of young Jewish people that want to be connected to Israel, but because of the politics, makes it difficult for them. Right. We're sort of saying young, implying a synonymous um, relationship with with progressive or left. Well, I think the young ones that Jew- aren't already probably do have more of that connection too. Doesn't sure. feel as as conflicted for them. We, we mm-hmm. should mention um, Bernie Sanders' own connections with Israel. Um, you, you're mentioning before we started taping, Yoni, I, I don't know as much about it. He did spend some time on a kibbutz? Yeah, he's very vague about where and what exactly he did, but he says that in his youth, he spent, uh, I think, a year, just under a year on a kibbutz in Israel, and he talks a lot about the experience um, um that that being on a kibbutz had for him it's it's his main uh, go-to line when he's talking about his connection to israel um and then of course he also brings up the fact that his father's side i believe his father's side of the family uh, many of them were uh, killed in the holocaust so the central question we're asking is do jews need to worry about bernie sanders it's obviously a simple question to a complex uh <laughs> with, with a complex answer if there is an answer um, but I guess just to keep it focused around that, uh, do Jews need to worry about Bernie or would, is Bernie good or bad for Israel is sort of taken as, as another way of looking at that question. What do you guys think the answer is to that one? Um, well, on the fact that we have to worry about him, um, I'd say no. I, I think that um, Bernie Sanders, if he does get the nomination, um, well, he will also then have to defeat Trump in a general election, which is a whole other story. Haven't you read the emails? Bernie beats Trump. Bernie beats Trump. Bernie beats Trump. <laughs> there, there was a, a fundraiser email sent out like a week or two oh, ago. Really? Yeah, with the, with the words Bernie beats Trump like 52 times in the, in the subject line or something. <laughs> oh, and it wow. Was, and it was like hammering this. Me- it's become his real electability slogan. Anyway, right. go on. Uh, yeah, well, whether or not um, Jews have to worry about him, I don't think so, um, but I'm not too. But I'm not too sure. But on the I- Israeli side, um, if President Bernie Sanders um, arrives in the White House, there will be a very different tone towards Israel. 
um, it will be like the pendulum swinging to the complete other side over overnight. Um, whether or not it translates into the United States withholding aid to Israel in order to see policy changes, or whether or not it turns to a more um, neutral position, uh, maybe more reminiscent of the 2010s European Union style of working with Israel, um, like conciliatory remarks and um, almost touting the middle line, there will be changes in Israeli uh, in Israeli foreign policy as well. I imagine that is more likely to be the case, if anything, also because of Sanders's uh, anti-war stance. I think in generally he, he's more of a pacifist candidate. He's not in any way militaristic. He'd probably be encouraging withdrawals from the Middle East, getting out of that whole region, um, and withdrawing, like you said, withdrawing aid or withdrawing money or, or even business dealings with um, any Middle Eastern country that they see as having human rights abuses, be it Israel or, or, or Saudi Arabia or, or anything. Mm -hmm. And while now Israel's relationships with uh, Persian Gulf states um, is being celebrated by the Trump administration, under a Bernie under a Bernie Sanders administration, it would be very, very different. It seems like you would also want to change America's relationship with those states. Exactly, right. Um, so you would go from Netanyahu being applauded for for restoring diplomatic relations or attempting to restore diplomatic relations with a country like Sudan, um, and as well as um, currying favor with the uh, with the uh, regime in Saudi Arabia, um, the UAE. It'd go from you know celebrating those foreign policy accomplishments to almost saying, wait, we don't like the fact that you're working with these people, or as Bernie called them, murderous thugs in Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it would, it would be like a complete 180. And, and then just to bring this back to the question at hand of, of Bernie's, whether, whether or not Bernie is good, Alex, what, what do you think? Do you have any thoughts on the central question? Well, I think if we're going to frame it as, is he anti-Semitic or not? I think that's a nonsense question. I think if you're calling him anti-Semitic, it's just lost like all use. People call Trump anti-Semitic too. I think that's, I think like, with, I think concept creep is a problem because you can define anti-Semitism so many different ways to include Trump in it. But I think the most useful way was like, does this person hate Jews? Do they have a visceral hatred for Jews? Trump empowers anti-Semites. I don't really, there's no doubt in my mind about that. But when you're talking about the kind of things he says to his Republican supporters, if they're not mad about it, if they like the way he talks to them, I, I really resent when people try to like be offended on other people's behalf when those people aren't offended. Like, don't... You know, I, I think Trump is bad for Jews in a lot of ways. I think he's good for some Jewish interests, including Israel in some ways, depending on what you want Israel to be. But I will say one thing to that I'm worried about from the point of view of like what Bernie will mean to Jews is if he's going to be like a classic model minority on the left that left people can point to and say, you know, look at his stance towards Israel. He might not even be a Zionist and expect every other Jewish person to fall in line. I don't think anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. I don't expect Jews to be Zionist. But I do expect them to defend the rights of other Jews to be Zionists, even if they're not. I, I will clarify a little bit that I've had conversations with people who do believe that um, Bernie Sanders is anti-Semitic. Uh, specifically, they call him a self-hating Jew. Yeah, I hate that term so much. <laughs> Fair enough. That's what people I've, I've spoken with people who are older, who have lived in Israel for many, many years. And uh, that is their opinion of Bernie Sanders, and you can't convince them any other way. Just to jump in here, what do they cite when they make a statement like that, that Spe Bernie Sanders is an anti-Semite? Specifically the fact that Bernie Sanders does not immediately denounce um, Hamas and, and Fatah. 
I think like it's 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 largely centered around his dealings with Palestine. The fact that he they they feel like he would not appropriately say condemn or or, or sever ties with uh, Palestinian governments, um, I and and thereby empower terrorism or or create an opening whereby terrorists might feel emboldened to start attacking Israel more because they feel like America's withdrawn or something. I, I, I can't speak fully on behalf of the people who make this <laughs> argument. And if you're listening to this, you know who you are. <laughs> um, but, but it generally deals with Palestine. Right. Okay. Because you can also look at it this way. Um, the people that support Bernie Sanders, for example, uh, a woman like Linda Sarsour, a lot of people don't feel very comfortable. A lot of Jewish people in the United States may not feel comfortable uh, aligning themselves with a presidential candidate who also accepts the endorsement of a woman who I believe is an anti-Semite. Um, but it makes... Um, right. So but it just, makes for very... Sorry, just to sort of mm-hmm. clarify that point for, for listeners as well. What you're saying is that Bernie Sanders is closely aligned with anti-Semites on the left who are part of and influential in the Democratic Party like Linda Sussur. Is that what you mean? Right, right. And to many people, that is very uncomfortable to see um, a a presidential candidate who they want to succeed, but also have a deep concern about the rising uh, amount of anti-Semitism in the United States and Canada, frankly, um, and that people like Linda Sussur are supporting Bernie right. Sanders. The, the problem with the left-right divide in, in America in particular, because it is literally just a left-right divide, is is you can't really choose, you can't really pick and choose people on your side. So when you're talking about anti-Semitism, anti-Semitism if you are a Democrat, you are talking about neo-Nazis. Mm-hmm. And if you're a Republican, you're talking about Linda Sarsour and, and college campus anti-Semitism. Right. And, 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 mm-hmm. and if, you're on, if you're in either camp, the other version of that does not exist. Right. Mm. Did, did I interrupt something else you were saying? No, no. I, I think I was just about to add that um, there was a recent article that was written in Harper's Magazine uh, by Thomas Chatterson Williams, and he is a um, an African-American writer uh, who currently lives in Paris, and he had a really interesting take on the, the um, I guess I can phrase it as, the benefits of being inconsistent. Uh, and the idea essentially is that people are complicated. Um, <laughs> they hold very I love it. different I love it views. They hold very different views. They come from very different backgrounds. Um, that this idea that you know one person has a plurality of identities and can hold a lot of conflicting arguments at once, and that while a position on politics can be one way, their idea on economics and social justice can be a completely different thing. So I think it's important that we don't fall into groupthink and that we don't... Um, no, nah, it's impossible. <laughs> ...try to put people into these perfectly contained boxes and and that uh, to the people who do fear that Bernie Sanders is attracting some um, anti-Semites or odd people in the left, um, that maybe that's a reason to not support him for you, but for others, it's just a way to say, you know... You're never going to have a perfect candidate or a perfect person for that matter. I mean, I think, you know, you showed me that article. It was really long. I didn't finish it. <laughs> oh, please do. But, yeah, I'll, and, I'll get back to it. But I mean, I understand the language he's using and the point he's making. But I really think just the idea that to be consistent, you need to have the same constellation of beliefs as everyone else. You know, back in the 60s or whatever, um, in America, if someone told you one political view, there was like 
no correlation between their other political views. You could not predict what their other Get political out. Yeah. Because <laughs> polarization wasn't a thing back then, especially right. within the parties. And, and it, I don't know if there should be some predictability between views, but certainly the level we're at now where you're expected to hold the same set of beliefs. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think that leads to consistency. I think that leads to a lot of hip- hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. And listen, we're all hypocrites. I'm going to be the first to call myself a huge hypocrite. I think just we shouldn't pretend that we're not we shouldn't expect our beliefs to be consistent because we don't have that kind of mental capacity uh, now because the three of us ag- agree unfortunately once again we <laughs> alex and i have accidentally created a room where there's just three young well, i said there's Jewish a little bit saying, to be worried about by bernie yeah well whatever the point is none of us think <laughs> we, we do need to worry about bernie sanders uh, i do want to open this up to people uh who are members of our facebook community who have voiced concerns um, i think everyone on facebook agrees with everything we say for sure <laughs> all so, the cj and facebook readership. Um, i would love to pull up the facebook page alex on your phone oh, it says yeah, you've yeah. reached your time limit on facebook what is yeah. this time limit system that you have yeah i have a time limit on some apps on my phone that's healthy except i just kind of ignore it <laughs> <laughs> so this is pulling from a post uh on february 13th our online editor just posted a picture of bernie sanders generating some discussion saying what do you think of bernie sanders that's all there was no article we just generally wanted to hear what people had to say we got 110 comments because of course we did (laughs) i I will say the top comments are surprisingly well thought out (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which I wasn't expecting when I actually yeah, you opened just had, this. like a look of visible shock on your face at, at the thoughtfulness of the. I think there was comments. so much immediate vitriol, like people posting, "He should retire." No thanks. Irrelevant. Um, I don't know one how person... you can call the leader in the primary irrelevant. Whatever else you want to say about him. <laughs> um, and so if you if you wade past all the one line troll response, like uh, calling him a token and a turncoat, or uh, one of the dumbest persons I've ever had the displeasure to listen to. There, there are some recurring themes. Um, there are also a lot of people who say that he's, you know, wonderful, good guy, Medicare for all, etc. Um, one thing that I think is but kind we don't of care about them. <laughs> <laughs> well, it goes without saying we already have voiced our our support of him, uh, or not support, but at least uh, the fact that we don't think he's bad for Jews. Um, so uh, I do think it's interesting. There are a few people who talk about. Um, communism and socialism particularly uh, a lot of people conflate democratic socialism socialism and communism all into one thing one person on our facebook page wrote i've immigrated from a socialist country i know what it means all socialism ideas are very very attractive as a paradise results are awful as hell do not support bernie is this person in canada <laughs> uh, commenting uh, on the cjn well do, do they realize that <laughs> we have the free health care that, that bernie wants to give americans it's true but but a lot of people do view and and this may be more of a, an emotional reaction than anything else, but socialism and communism is similar things. Um, and when you hear him self-describing as anything involving socialism, mm-hmm. you do, uh, particularly for older people, strike up fears of a certain kind of political movement that did not work and that was frightening and totalitarian. I don't think it describes what Bernie Sanders is doing at all, but I think that link as well is something that's worth keeping in mind when considering why people think that he's bad for the Jews, right? People are thinking about the USSR. People are thinking about Yugoslavia. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, and that's, that's worth keeping in mind. I think something else to consider is when we're talking about what Bernie means for Israel. I mean, if you have an idea of what Israel is, what you want it to be, and Trump is the best president for that, then sure, maybe Bernie's... The opposite. I mean, this was the point you were bringing up, Yoni, <laughs> while we had uh, taken a break from recording for a moment. But 
there are a lot of ways that Bernie could be good for Israel that Trump wouldn't, maybe even better. And especially if you have an ideal of Israel that, say, doesn't include settlements, you know, mm-hmm. that might have a bearing on whether or not you think Bernie is good for Israel and whether he could be. Right. I mean, if you are a liberal progressive Jew in Canada and the United States um, and you want to see Israel move to the left or even to maybe regain the center, um, Bernie Sanders may be your candidate to influence U.S. foreign policy in a way that achieves that goal. But if you are maybe a more conservative Israeli or a conservative Jew living in North America, maybe you're looking at Trump being someone who swung the pendulum too far to the right and given Israel everything that it has asked for. Uh, Maybe your candidate then is one of the centrists like a Joe Biden or a Amy Klobuchar. Joe Biden is so 2019. It's all about <laughs> it's all about Buttigieg and Klobuchar now. If you're in the but, middle, Buttigieg and Klobuchar. Well, Buttigieg's foreign policy on Israel is interesting too. I think it's. I don't know if we can get that distracted. <laughs> this uh, not to cut, cut that out. If, if, if we are going to mention any other candidate, sorry, uh, we we did talk about this briefly. If we're going to mention any other candidate who's who's running to be the Democratic nominee for the president of the United States, it should be Mike Bloomberg, the other guy who could be oh, the yeah. first Jewish president. Right? I don't think I don't think he has a ch- shot. He's polling very well. The dude has spent four hundred million dollars convincing yeah, people that he's the right guy. Anybody who thinks, you know what we need to, to beat a New York multimillionaire is a New York multi-billionaire. <laughs> That's the way you beat Trump. Um, I just wanted to bring him up briefly because when we're talking about, you know, the first Jewish president of the United States, no one talks about Bloomberg. Maybe nobody should. Does Bloomberg talk about his Jewishness? Not nearly as much. He's he's about as culturally Jewish as like Paul Rudd. Like he's that <laughs> level of Jewish. I don't know. Is that like he's he's, you know, a guy who is Paul Rudd Jewish? Just wait. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Just wait until Bloomberg's Israel story beats Bernie's. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know. The the man may have legitimate connections, but I just feel like it's it's worth mentioning that as Joe Biden does fade from the polls and Bloomberg is rising in time for Super Tuesday, which is coming up March 3rd, if I'm not mistaken, um, it could be down to a centrist Bloomberg versus radical Biden race. Radical Bernie? Sorry, radical Bernie race. Radical be, Biden. <laughs> he's going radical. <laughs> Super Saiyan Biden. Uh, <laughs> no, which would be a, a, a really fascinating Jew, old, old man Jew versus old man Jew showdown for the Democratic mm. nominee. That would be very cool. That has been your episode of today's Canadian Jewish Schmooze. Once again, I am Michael Freeman. And I'm Alex Rose. I edit and produce this podcast. Uh, we'd like to thank uh, Yoni for coming on today. Uh, if people want to read more of your stuff, you're on social media, do you have a website, anything like that, or do you just keep to yourself like a normal person? Uh, I do keep to myself, but I guess you can follow me on Twitter at Balete Yoni. Before you go, I'd like to take this uh, moment to say that we have launched a few new podcasts. And if you're interested in hearing any of them, you should head to cjnews.com slash podcasts. You can listen to United We Snack, which is a half-hour comedy show, and Coal of Rum, which is an hour-long, long-form interview podcast with interesting Jews in Canada. As for this show, if you like it, please subscribe. It would do us a huge favor. 
Also give us a five-star rating if you think we deserve it, or any rating, just because we like to see the stars. Give us feedback. We always want to hear from fans. We want to be starstruck. Our intro music is by Vanya Zhuk. Our outro music is by Lache Swing. David Collin is our promotions manager and also our basket weaver. And on that note, we will see you next time. Thanks for listening.